The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. That it uh, it is great to be together in this time of worship, and we've worshipped in singing, and we've worshipped in prayer, and I just want you to know the worship doesn't end right now. Uh, you know, God has said that He is exalted above all things, His name and His word, and so when we come to it with uh, humble hearts and ready to receive and to learn and to be transformed, that too is an act of worship. Amen. So we're just continuing our worship service right now by looking into God's word and. Uh, I want to start with this. Some of you uh, may be familiar with a uh, Christian book that gained worldwide fame about 15 years ago. Uh, that book was called The Prayer of Jabez. How many of you have ever heard of that book? Uh, that book was based on an obscure Old Testament verse where a guy who otherwise was unknown cried out to God in prayer. He said, oh, that you would bless me, Lord. Based on that book's massive success, more than 10 million copies sold, it seems pretty clear to me that Jabez's prayer for blessing resonates big time with us. And that would explain why uh, this week when I went to Amazon.com and I, I typed in the keywords, God's blessing, more than 23,000 books matched in just the Christian living section alone. 23,000 books talking about God's blessing. And what that tells me is that people long to experience God's blessing in their lives. We all do, don't we? Don't leave me hanging. It's not a trick question. We all long to experience God's blessing, right? And um, I mean, who wouldn't want his favor poured out on their life? Who wouldn't want to receive all of the good gifts that he would want to give us? And friends, I've got some really, really great news for you this morning. God wants to do that. God wants to, to flood our lives with his blessings. He wants to bless us in more ways and to a greater degree than we could ever imagine. We sing this often, he's a, he's a good, good father and he, he loves to give good gifts to his children. His heart is for us and his heart is toward us. Now here's the interesting thing as I've been studying this subject. We're part of the equation too. We're, we're part of the equation. There are things that we can do that, that help to unleash God's blessing in our lives and there are things that we can do that block or that kind of push away God's blessing. I want to just set the record straight right up front, and uh, please no emails this week about this, all right? I'm going to just try to lay it out there. I want you to be really clear. Uh, we can't force God's hand. Uh, he doesn't take orders from us. He's not obligated to anyone for anything. He's sovereign. He is supreme. He is the ruler over all, and God isn't some sort of uh, cosmic blessing machine where we kind of insert a coin, press a button, and out comes our favorite blessing, usually massive and usually monetary. I mean, there's a whole host of prosperity preachers spewing that garbage, all right? You can find it if you're interested in it, but that's not what I'm saying. That's not what Scripture teaches. Still, though, the consistent testimony of Scripture is that when it comes to God's blessing, we do have a part to play in it. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. Time and time again, in, the, in page after page of the Bible, we see God pour out his favor on those who follow his ways, and we see him express his displeasure to those who go their own way. 
And so the question for us this morning really is this. What can I do or not do that, that God would be pleased to show me his favor? Or to say it another way, how can I have a life that God would bless? And as uh, Roger said, we're going to turn to Proverbs chapter 4 to the, for the answer to those questions. So if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to do that. Proverbs 4. Uh, if you're not so familiar and you open up to about the middle, you'll probably land in Psalms, and it's just the next book to the right. And uh, while you're finding your way there, I just want to orient us to it a little bit. Uh, it's an interesting book. Proverbs was written and collected primarily by Solomon. And uh, it was done under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as is all of Scripture. And Solomon, if you remember, was the, the third king of Israel, the son of David. And um, there was a really interesting story back in 1 Kings 3, where God offered Solomon anything that his heart would desire. He said, you ask me for it and I would be pleased to give it to you. And I love, love, love what Solomon asked of the Lord. Scripture says that he asked God for an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. Isn't that a great request? Think of all of the things that he could have asked for. And he said, basically, God, would you give me your wisdom? I need your wisdom. And the Bible goes on and says that God answered Solomon and gave him wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. And so Proverbs is Solomon's attempt to share that godly wisdom with the people of God on a whole range of practical everyday subjects. I mean, Proverbs talks about it all. It talks about stuff like money and friendships and marriage and parenting and work and laziness and all kinds of things that we deal with on an everyday basis. And it's made up of, of short, succinct statements, not absolute promises about the way things always work out, but it's, it's practical observations about how we can best navigate life in this broken and fallen world and, and how we can be successful according to God's standards. And so there's lots there for us. And in today's passage, Solomon unpacks for us how we can have a life that God blesses. So follow with me. I'm going to begin at verse 20. I just want to read through that, and we're going to work our way and study this together. Here's what he says, verse 20. He says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Can you sense Solomon's urgency and his intensity and his sincerity here? He's, he's got some really crucial stuff for us to hear, and he doesn't want us to miss a thing. And so it's, okay, Solomon, we're, we're leaning in, we're ready. What, what have you got for us? What are these really important things we need to hear? Why is this so important? Verse 22, he says, what I'm about to tell you, they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Really what Solomon is saying is this. He's saying, if you'll genuinely embrace these words that I'm about to tell you, and if you will purposely live according to them, you're gonna enjoy life to the full. You'll experience God's multifaceted blessing on your life, physical, uh, relational, emotional, spiritual, every way you are going to experience the favor of God upon your life. They are life to those who find them. I don't know about you, but it sounds great to me. You up for that? So what are these words of wisdom? Well, first, you can jot these things down in your notes. First thing is Solomon says, if I want God's blessing in my life, I must guard my heart. If I want God's blessing in my life, I must guard my heart. Look at verse 23. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I want to just pull that apart kind of bit by bit. And let, let's start with the word heart there. Obviously, I hope, 
uh, Solomon isn't talking about the blood pumping muscle that beats in my chest. Uh, no, the, the word heart has a different meaning in scripture and it's, it's really, it's a comprehensive term for the entire person. It's, it's the core of who you are. It's, it's, we might say it's the real you. And your heart is the place where really three fundamental things happen, all right? It's the place of desire. It's where we have our emotions and our feelings, our passions. Our, it's our desire. Uh, it's the place where we deliberate. So it's, it's our mind and our thoughts. And it's also where we decide. It's, it's the seat of our will, all right? It's, it's desire, deliberate, and decide. All of that is wrapped up in our heart. And so uh, you remember Proverbs 3 when uh, the word says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Really what it's saying is trust God with everything you've got, your whole being, your whole person. Lean into God in that way. And Solomon here is saying that what we need to do with our heart is we need to keep our heart. And um, that, that word there really has the idea of standing guard, of, of watching over diligently, of, of being alert in defending and protecting I just, let, me, let me just give you a couple of pictures that may help you kind of get what he's saying here. Just think about prison guards for a minute. If you were to boil it down, really what is the job, the primary job of a prison guard? Well, number one, they want to keep uh, the prisoners from injuring one another, right? They want to protect them from one another and they also want to keep any bad outside influences from coming inside, right? They're, they're standing guard, they're keeping watch. Or um, some of you like basketball. And um, as you know, uh, we say that when they're playing defense, we say that they're guarding their opponent. And what's the, really the goal when you're guarding your opponent? Well, you do anything that you can within the rules and sometimes uh, even bend the rules, but you do whatever you can to keep the other team from putting the ball in the basket. You're standing watch, you're protecting your basket, you're guarding, you're keeping watch. And basically, that's what Solomon is calling us to do with our heart. He's calling us to, to be vigilant in keeping watch over our heart. We've got to guard it against anything that would displease God and that would drive away, push away his blessing in our lives. But why, why is it so crucial? Well, notice the last part of that verse. He says, it's, this is really important because from it, from your heart, flow the springs of life. And um, the message translation puts it this way. That's where life starts. The New Living Translation says, and I love this, it affects everything you do. In other words, Solomon's saying the heart is fundamental. The heart is foundational. And, and he uses a really neat image. He uses the image of a, a spring or a well. And it, I think it's a pretty helpful concept because as you know, if a, if a well or a spring is pure, it pumps out clean and, and fresh water. That's a great blessing to all who would partake of it. But if it gets contaminated, obviously it pumps out dirty, disgusting water and we want nothing to do with it. And the spiritual parallels, I hope, are patently obvious. If our heart is pure, it pumps out good stuff into our life. And if our heart is impure, it just pumps out not good stuff into our life. And that's what Solomon is saying. Everything is affected by the state of our heart. That's where it all starts. And you know, Jesus makes really the same point in Luke chapter six, verse 45. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. It's the old Geigo principle. You guys know what Geigo is? Garbage in, garbage out. Or... 
it can also be good in, good out. It can go either way, right? Garbage in, garbage out, or good in, good out. And so we, we, we need to be extremely cautious about what we allow to take root in our hearts. And uh, Philippians 4.8 gives us, a, I think, a really good framework for the kinds of things that we want to allow in because they will produce blessing and flow out good things out of our lives. Paul says, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Allow those to take root in your heart. That's what we need to allow in. And so I simply want to ask you this morning, are you, are you guarding your heart? Are, are, you, are you keeping it with all vigilance? And um, maybe, maybe you'd be honest and say, you know what, I have been, I've been letting things slip in that area. I, I haven't been keeping watch like I need to. I've been playing some lousy defense. And uh, there's some areas maybe I, I need to tighten up in and I, I trust the Spirit is bringing those to your mind. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 tells, that, tells us that the eyes of the Lord, I love this, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Do you catch that? It says God is looking, he is actively looking everywhere. He is looking right here this morning at Harvest Berry for men and women who are fully devoted to him, whose heart is in his hands, whose heart is leaning toward him, and he wants to give them support. He wants to show, their, show them his strength. He wants to pour out his favor in their lives. And that's why Solomon says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. If I want God's blessing in my life, it starts with guarding my heart. But Solomon also says that if I want God's blessing in my life, I must control my mouth. I gotta control my mouth. Look at verse 24. He says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. You know, Jesus makes clear the connection between our hearts and our speech when he tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, our thoughts precede our words, and that's why Solomon starts with our heart. If we can get our heart right, that solves most of our problems. It doesn't solve every problem, but it solves most of our problems because that's where stuff starts. That said, we still need to be vigilant with our mouths as well. We, need to, we can't just guard our hearts. We've got we've to go after our speech as well. We can't just assume that it'll all take care of itself. We need to aggressively control our mouths. That's what he's saying here, and and it's hard work, isn't it? It's hard work. James 3 tells us that who can tame the tongue? Who can do it? Like, it, this is not an easy subject. But that's what we're being called to do if we want God's blessing in our life. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard for me to know if I'm really winning or losing when it comes to controlling my mouth. I mean, like, I know that I'm better than some of my neighbors and the guy maybe down the aisle, not at my workplace, but maybe at your, your workplace. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the kid in the class, I, I'm not as bad as them, but like, am I really living up to God's standards? I don't want to compare myself against the worst case scenario. What is God really calling me to? And am I coming anywhere close? Sometimes it's hard to really know. And so um, I want to leave you with five signs my mouth is out of control. 
It's not an exhaustive list. Uh, someone who shall remain nameless told me last night, um, man, I'm really glad you didn't put sarcasm on that list because that's my big one. Um, so you can add some others that maybe are your thing, but five signs your mouth is out of control. And uh, you may want to jot these down and you'll see I'm not even addressing uh, things like profane and coarse language, which I hope obviously should have no place in the life of a Christ follower, but five other things that sometimes kind of fly under the radar and yet can be so detrimental. Five patterns of speech. So let's start with this one. How about complaining? Complaining. Uh, Of the five, this is my biggest area of struggle. It hits close to home in my heart. I don't know about in your heart, but complaining. You know, I did a Google search this week and you may find this hard to believe, but there are websites that exist for no other reason than as an outlet for complaining. Uh, One of them advertises itself this way. How often have you intended to complain about something but just never gotten around to it? Well, now you can easily and effectively right here. Isn't that just what we've always needed? More opportunities to mumble and to groan. Friends, I need you to know God can't stand complaining. God can't stand complaining. It's an affront to him because it it disrespects his blueprint and his timeline for our lives. It basically says, listen, I deserve better than this and I deserve better than this right now. Do you remember when the Israelites were on their way uh, to the promised land, wandering around the wilderness and... um, And scripture says that they began to grumble and to complain and to question God's care over them. Do you remember that story? I mean, it happened multiple times. But this one uh, incident, Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, it says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. That's serious stuff. And... um, you know, I don't know about you, but I think we're often pretty nonchalant about our complaining, but, but God takes this seriously. And I'm not here to suggest that God's going to do the same thing with us that he did with the Israelites. But why test it? Why risk it? Why take the chance? Let's, let's strive to be grateful people rather than grumbling people. If you're, if you're complaining, your mouth is out of control. Don't forfeit the blessing that God wants to flow into your life, all right? That's the first one. The second one, another sign is gossiping. Gossiping. It's a sign that your mouth is out of control. And this can be all too common in our lives and even sadly in the body of Christ, in a church family. Did you hear what happened with the, the Rock family? You're not gonna believe it. Let me tell you about it. Or, um, did you see what John bought? Like, who does he think he is? And on and on it can go. And um, most of the time, we pass along this garbage without even thinking about it. And, and if anybody happens to challenge us about what we're saying, we just, you know, we, we trot out some lame excuses. Like, whoa, I just, just I'm really concerned about my brother. Or, uh, I, I just wanted to help my sister pray more effectively. It doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it okay. One paraphrase of Proverbs 18, verse 8 says that listening to gossip is like eating cheap candy. Do you really want that junk in your belly? That's just listening to gossip. How, how about spreading the gossip? That's even worse. 
And I just want to encourage you, why not make a fresh commitment today to run from gossip in all its forms? Because if you're gossiping, your mouth is out of control and you're, whether you mean to or not, you are pushing away God's favor on your life, all right? A third sign your mouth is out of control is quarreling. Quarreling. Some people, and you may know them, love to pick a fight with their words. They love to get people riled up. They love to stir the pot. They love to scrap it out. And in scripture, this is often referred to as causing strife. Simply put, quarreling doesn't please God. I just want to read you a couple of verses from Proverbs. Uh, 17, 19 says that whoever loves transgression loves strife. In other words, you want to sin? Quarrel. That's what he's saying. And just a couple verses earlier, he says, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. In other words, put an end to it very quickly before the whole, the whole dam breaks. Stop it in its tracks before it becomes a disaster. God loves friends. God loves people with a gentle spirit. And so I just encourage you, ask him to make you a peacemaker instead of a peace breaker. If you're quarreling, your mouth is out of control. And I just ask you, make a fresh resolve to stop it and to pursue a life that God's blesses. Maybe your issue is boasting. Boasting. You love to let people know how smart you are and how nice or rich or athletic or attractive or whatever, whatever your thing is. And of course, we are dignified people. We normally are very careful about how we do this. Um, you know, we don't come out right out and say it, most of us. Don't come out and say just how awesome we are. But we, we have our ways of hinting at it. And um, social media is a great place for this to take root. And someone as well said that when you sing your own praise, you always get the tune too high. Isn't it true we all tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought? And Proverbs 27.2 urges us to let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Guys, it's totally okay to boast about someone else, to cheer them on and to encourage them and to lift them up. And if we're just being honest, it's really fun to do that about someone else and it's even fun to receive that from someone else. But it's not okay to boast about ourselves, about our own greatness. And if you're doing that, your mouth is out of control and you are foregoing God's highest and best in your life. I've got one more for the list. Uh, your mouth is out of control if you find yourself lying or being deceitful. And this can include uh, outright statements that are obviously false, but it's, it's also, it takes the more subtle form of communicating partial truths or allowing someone to knowingly have the wrong impression about a situation. And all of it is dishonest and and it greatly displeases the Lord. The Bible tells us that God cannot lie. And he, he calls us as his children to the same measure of holiness that he himself has. And Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. In other words, lying is part of our old nature, our old sinful nature. And we're not an old sinful nature person anymore. We are new creation. We should put that off. We should live in, in honesty and integrity. We need to choose to speak the truth. If you're lying, your mouth is out of control. So what do we make of all of that? Well, 1 Peter 3.10 sums it up very well, I think. It says, whoever desires to love life and see good days. Does that describe you? You want to 
love life and see good days? In other words, you're basically saying, do you want God's blessing in your life? Do you want God's favor? Well, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. God is looking for men and women in whose life he can pour out his favor. And his word is telling us that how we speak is really important. And so if I want God's blessing in my life, I, I must, I must, I must control my mouth. All right, back to Proverbs 4. Here's the third principle. If I want God's blessing in my life, I must focus my eyes. Focus my eyes. Solomon tells us this in verse 25. He says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Now, I don't know if you are anything like me, but when I'm driving around town, I, I love to look around and, and just check out what's going on. Hey, that house is for sale over there. And oh, wow, did you notice there's a, a brand new store over there? And man, did you see that yard? Like that needs some serious work. And that guy's driving like a maniac and just noticing the things that are going on around me. Now, if I'm driving with Carla, my wife, it won't be too long before I hear either a gasp or receive an elbow to the ribs. <laughs> She's concerned that I'm going to plow into the car in front of me or I'm going to veer off into incoming traffic or maybe I'll even end up in the ditch. And listen, little secret between us, don't tell her I said this but she's probably right. If I don't look straight ahead, if I don't fix my gaze on the road, if I don't focus my eyes, I'm bound to get in trouble on the road. That's the whole thing about texting and driving, right? And the same thing is true of us spiritually as well. If we get distracted and we start to, to take our eyes off Christ and his word and his ways, we can quickly find ourselves headed toward disaster. And so what are some of the dangerous distractions that can divert our eyes and misplace our focus? Well, I want to just suggest three to you, three kind of larger categories of, of challenges that can get us off track and get us into trouble over and over again. How about this one, number one, pleasure. Many times we're distracted by the pleasures of this life, both the things that we already have and the things that we really wish we had. And it could be money or houses or cottages or cars or boats or the latest iPhone or vacations or sex or food or sports or anything that becomes the center of our attention. And whatever that thing is for you specifically in your life, if you have it, you, you begin to devote time and energy to it and you orient your life around it and you make decisions based on it and if you're not careful and you, you can push other priorities off to the side to make more room for it and if you allow that to happen, you, you lose focus on the things that really matter. And if it's something that you don't yet have, you, you start to obsess over it and you can't think about anything else and you, uh, you do anything you can to get it and you picture yourself enjoying it and you lose focus. Pleasure is one of those dangerous distractions and it's it's a common one in our contemporary culture, I think, because what do we hear all the time? We hear, go after whatever you want because you deserve it. It's not going to hurt anybody else. Have at it. That's pleasure and it can get us off track. Maybe your dangerous distraction is power. 
You always love to be in a position of authority and influence and to have some clout to be the boss. And um, this can obviously be a huge issue in the workplace, but it can be true at home. It can be true at school. It can even be true in the church. And maybe you've been subjected to a a power-hungry person. Or maybe, just maybe, you're the power-hungry person. Abraham Lincoln once said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Little power is a dangerous thing, as the old saying goes, and uh, it can cause us to lose focus. And for many of us, the dangerous distraction is, pr- is a problem, a-, a problem of some kind. Uh, we can get distracted by our circumstances and you, you find yourself facing a health challenge or a, a financial crunch or a, a family crisis, a relational breakdown, a, a job loss or whatever that thing is for you, that mountain that's right in front of you, that issue, that struggle, that challenge. And quickly you begin to, to fix your gaze on the problem rather than on, than on the one who will never leave you or forsake you. We've sung that this morning. God's with us. He won't forsake us. And we, we ignore the fact that he will be our strength through the storm. We get off track. And Satan is a very smart guy. He, he, he will use the, the pleasure and the power and the problems and anything else that he can muster up to distract us from what really matters in life. And it's almost like he operates like a skilled group of shoplifters. And I have no personal experience in this, but from what I've read, one of the the common approaches is that a group will enter a store and then one or two will separate themselves from the rest and the larger group will cause some sort of diversion or commotion in the store and that draws the attention of the clerk and other customers. And then the one or two over here will just fill their pockets. It's a sneaky move. And in a similar way, Satan will seduce us into paying attention to the distractions and then he will rob us blind of the blessing that God wants to give us. And and friends, we've got to focus our eyes. We've got to focus our eyes. Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us that we should be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We need to ignore all of these dangerous distractions and instead fix our eyes on Christ and never let him out of our sight. We need to to see him in all of his glory and allow who he is and what he has done to capture our gaze. And we need to do that over and over and over again. And if I want God's blessing in my life, I must, must, must focus my eyes. Finally, Solomon says that if I want God's blessing in my life, I must direct my feet direct my feet. Look at verses 26 and 27. He says, ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. One thing that I've observed about little kids and having raised four is this. If there are multiple paths between point A and point B, they normally choose the least direct route. Anybody else notice that? It doesn't matter if it involves crawling through dirt or jumping in puddles or rolling in the grass or smelling the roses, whatever it may be, they just get off track. 
And you know, some of us as adults are like that as well. We love to get off the beaten path too. And that's perfectly fine when it comes to traveling. But when it comes to our spiritual journey, when it comes to our walk with Christ, we've got to choose the most direct path and we've got to stick to it. We can't get sidetracked. And as we journey with Jesus, many times each day, we come to forks in the road. I don't know if you realize it. It it comes at us all the time. Will I be honest in my schoolwork or will I choose to cheat? Uh, Will I be totally above board in my business dealings or will I choose a questionable shortcut? Will I honor those in authority or will I frustrate those whom God has put over me? Will I give to God the first a portion of my income or will I consume it on my own wishes? Will I put others' needs before myself or will I be number one? Will I run from temptation and and even the appearance of evil or will I get as close to the edge as I can? You get the idea? And as I said, these choices come at us all the time and from all directions. And really, we have only two options. Either we can choose the path of destruction, which, by the way, in the moment, often looks appealing and which has a lot of people traveling on it. The path of destruction. Or we can choose to walk with Jesus on the narrow path of righteousness. Growing up in Sunday school, I used to sing a song that said, oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. And it's a simple but powerful truth. And Psalm 119.59 says, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet toward your testimonies. Don't you love that? I think about it and I, I don't turn away. I turn toward your testimonies, God. I turn toward the path that you would want me to go. May that be said of each one of us. Because if I want God's blessing in my life, I must direct my feet, direct my feet toward the path of righteousness. So let me ask you a question. Are you experiencing God's blessing? He he wants to pour out his favor. He's a good father and he loves to give good gifts to his children. Are you, am I, are we doing our part? Are you guarding your heart? Are you controlling your mouth? Are you focusing your eyes? Are you directing your feet? Which which area has God been convicting you about this morning? What's your what's your takeaway? As we we come to an end, I want to leave us with just two final thoughts that I think are really key to everything that we've been saying this morning. The first thing is this. All of this is possible only in God's strength. All of this is possible only in God's strength. You know, if we're left to ourselves, if we're trying to do it on our own, there's not a chance that we can live a life that God will bless. We can't do any of these things that we've been talking about in our own strength. We can't, we can't just muster up the strength to control our mouth or to direct our feet or any of this. We can't just muscle up and make it happen. You know, John 15 verse 5 is a verse that I, I have to force myself to come back to frequently because if I'm honest, everything in me just wants to fight against its truth. Do you know what it says? It's Jesus speaking. He says that apart from me, you can do nothing. How much do we really believe that? That apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Nothing of eternal significance. Nothing that truly matters. Nothing that counts in God's sight. 
That, my friends, is an all-out attack on our independent spirit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But I take great comfort in kind of the the flip side of the coin to that same verse. It's Philippians 4.13, that with Christ, I can do all things. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Without recognizing my absolute inability apart from God's absolute capability, this whole message is just a pep talk. It's just a a self-help session encouraging us to try harder. And that's an enterprise doomed to fail. But, But when I combine my spiritual pursuit with God's supernatural power, it becomes possible, it becomes even natural to live a life that God will bless. That's the first thought. The second is this. God's everyday blessings in this life are a byproduct of his ultimate blessing, eternal life. God has, friends, God has many good things that he wants to shower upon us here and now. And that's where our minds typically go. That's, that's the things that we think about often. But he's most concerned that we receive the spiritual blessing of salvation. That, that's the greatest gift of all. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every blessing comes to us because of our relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. And and none of the everyday blessings that we get so worked up about and focus our our mind and our attention on, they they don't matter one bit. It, It don't matter a bit if the blessing of eternal life in heaven isn't ours, if we haven't locked that down. Besides, what, what more could we really ask for than that? A relationship with God and all that it brings is far more than we deserve because, friends, we deserve nothing but separation from Him. And everything that we have from God, most of all salvation, is a, is a gift of grace. And so I urge you, if you've never done so, receive that ultimate blessing. You can do it right here and now. Turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. And if you already have that figured out in your mind, if you've already made that a reality for yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then I just ask you, bask in the reality of the blessings that you have in him. Just, Just marinate in the truth that your identity is settled and your future is secure. We are blessed people. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father God, we thank you that you, are, you have a heart that is for us and that your heart is toward us, that you, you love your children. You love to give us good gifts. You love to shower us with your favor and bless us beyond what we deserve and what we could ever ask or imagine. Oh God, thank you so much. Thank you most of all for the relationship with you that we have through Jesus. And God, I pray that by your spirit, you would draw any in this room to yourself who haven't received the forgiveness and the freedom that you that you freely offer to any and all who would come. God, would you help us to be the kind of people on whom you want to pour out your favor? God, help us to guard our heart and to control our mouth and focus our eyes and direct our feet and help us to do all of that in the power of Christ, the inexhaustible power that he flows into us. God, we want to see you move. We long to see you move. Would you do what you want to do in our lives even now? And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.
Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.